It has been said that history is written by the victor, and this is also true of Scripture. The Hebrew Scriptures contain the drama of the chosen people, and the New Testament is witness to the promise of the gospel, which extends from the chosen people into the church and beyond. What has always bugged me a little bit, actually quite a lot, about the Bible stories is that some of them seem indeed to be written by the victor in a biased way. I've always wondered, actually from the very beginning of my doubts and searching in faith, what happens to the people who were not chosen, not favored? What of folks who never heard the gospel or were born into another faith or believed in their own faith so passionately that they as I do mine, that they could not believe anything else. In the parable of the sower, for example, what if I happen to be that rocky soil the day that the seed of the gospel is sown? Or have a heart hard enough the seed just sort of bounces along the way? Today's Old Testament passages put this problem in stark relief for us. Abraham and Sarah, late in their lives, have no children, and Sarah believes it is past her time, and probably with good wisdom she believes that. Another difficulty in interpreting these passages is Genesis was ancient when Jesus was a boy. And so Sarah does what what was then culturally acceptable was that she consented to having one of her servants bear Abraham a child. And so Abraham and her servant, Hagar, gave birth to their Abraham's firstborn, Ishmael. Later, God does what God has promised, and Sarah herself conceives, and her child will be Isaac. Those of us who know how the story turns out know that we speak of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not so much of Ishmael. In ancient societies, though, the firstborn, which would have been been Ishmael, held all the rights and influence and heritage and privilege. Yet Isaac will be the child of the promise, the youngest child. Ishmael will not. How many of you are oldest children? Well, I'm sorry about that. Scripture's really for the younger. (laughs) Yeah, so the way most things work out, you all, the, the elder child, would have been the privileged one in the family. But that's not the story Scripture gives us. Scripture, in all of these stories of sibling rivalry, which we have heard and will hear, it is the younger that usurps the older, and that will really bug you elder children. 
This reversal of common expectations will be the theme in Scripture. And it is of great comfort to us younger children, but I, I am a younger children's child, so this is, this is good news for me. Sibling rivalry is tough stuff. It began, the first story of sibling rival, we've, we've, we didn't read, but Cain and Abel, many of you know it. Abel was the oldest. No. I, my brain's, after three services, my brain's not working. Uh, one of them was the oldest and one of the, uh, the youngest. <laughs> and one of them ends up dead. It's unfortunately, you know, we laugh at it, and some scripture is intended to be laughter, but it, this plays out in our lives all the time. This week, another tragic incident, this, the holiest sight of the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the children of Abraham, Judaism, Christian, and Islam. Still, are having difficulty with the issue of who is the promise, who is the chosen child. I find this even reflects in churches. I have not been to a Methodist church yet where four or five people didn't approach me and said, after a potluck, and saying, Methodists, we have the best potlucks, don't we? Of course I say yes. Now, my Presbyterian mother would have disagreed. I can, I can guarantee you that if you visit a Presbyterian church, potluck, they will, they will say, don't Presbyterians have the best potlucks? It's interesting. This, you know, I heard there was a little grumbling after church last week about the uh, icon on the front of the building, on the front of the bulletin, that it might have looked too Catholic. Well, that actually, that icon was actually painted before the division between Protestant and Catholic existed. It's interesting, this subject of rivalry. It comes even into churches in the sense of when we have more than one service. Elder children... There's always this sense of preference in, in human love. That it's difficult for us. It is the very essence of love to have a preference. It's the same in sibling rivalry. The house of Abraham now has two sons. Ishmael the eldest. Isaac the youngest. But Sarah loves her natural-born child the most, Isaac. And so does the storyline. God will make the chosen people of Isaac. God will choose Isaac, not Ishmael. Just like God chose Abel's blessing, Abel's offering, rather than Cain's. How do we make exist in a world of blessing and abundance and avoid killing one another over it. It's interesting that the Bible perhaps may offer 
an alternative reading of these stories. It did not occur to me actually in my life until very recently that underneath these, these stories, and this will not be the first, and it will not be the last story that we hear this summer of sibling rivalry, that underneath this drama of chosen, there is a sub-narrative, a counter-narrative of the life of the unchosen, who's blessed too. At its best, this theology of the, young, of the youngest child, which Scripture does contain, teaches us that the most vulnerable, that the, the, the ones born last, that the ones of naturally less privileged in the world and in, in our lives are a part of the blessing. But this difficulty of chosen and chosen Unchosen creates rivalries and jealousies which bring about violence ultimately. I've recently been guided to see that behind this drama of the chosen child is this other thing that Scripture wants us to see. Sometimes we respond as Christians that our faith is not rooted in that sense of predestination or chosenness, but instead it's a theology of love. The great faith that Abraham passed on to us is one of love. It's rooted in two great loves, the love of God and the love of our neighbor. But as it turns out, as one Jewish theologian writes, love turns out not to be enough. Love unites, but it also divides. It leaves the unloved, those left loved, less loved, who feel rejected, abandoned, alone. And that sense of rejection feeds hatred and violence. That is why this person writes, you cannot build a community or a society on love alone, or perhaps even a family. You also need justice. Justice not in that Old Testament sense of being sure everybody's punished appropriately, but justice in the sense of universal fairness. Love is for a particular people, a particular person, particular worship service, a particular church, a particular denomination, any, any of the great particularities with which God blesses the world in such amazing diversity. But justice is fairness, living out that sense that every person has been blessed in some way. I had not realized until recently that my problem with the Bible's drama of the chosen people, which has gone a long time in my head, was because I wasn't reading carefully enough. Genesis pauses in the midst of the story of the chosen people to give us this heart-wrenching scene. Ishmael and Hagar cast out of the family 
walked out into the wilderness by Father Abraham. It turns out that in the evolutionary cycle, if you push all the way down to it, ancient sibling rivalries emerge because of resources. All Hagar and Ishmael are given is a day's worth of food. Hagar can't watch the death of her child, so she puts him off in a bush. Why does the Bible pause and narrate this awful scene at such great length? It's part of that counter narrative. We are meant to dwell in the heart of the unchosen that we may know God's sense of justice. Not curse, but blessing. You see, God loves Ishmael too. Scripture demands, if we read it carefully, that we enter into the trauma of the unchosen and know it too. And God heard the voice of the boy, Ishmael. And the angel of the Lord called to Hagar, Do not be afraid. I will make of you a great nation as well. And God was with them too. Scripture is saying, yes, you are blessed. But there's no need to covet someone else's blessing. We each have one of our own. And that perhaps, if we read the Bible again, is a way to peace. And to God alone will be the glory, now and forever. Amen.